Harvey said, that's not selfish. That's not selfish. That's self-preservation. You know, there's such an uproar right now in the land of Israel and Palestinians and Israel bombing. And it's amazing to me whenever you read, depending on, of course, which news source you read from. And the majority of the world, I'm sure you're keeping up with it, the majority of the world is so attacking Israel. Riots everywhere yesterday. Different parts of, of Europe, different parts of America, Los Angeles, different places like that. And they are blasting Israel for defending themselves. Can't you see? The world is getting in the spirit of destruction. Already crimes, anti-Semitic crimes, and different people trying to do things to Jewish synagogues and this and that. Friend, that spirit lays right on the world today. Don't you see what's going to happen in the tribulation period? The whole world will gather right against them. Is it's happening to them naturally? So it's happening to the bride spiritually. The devil's sending all of his missiles and all of his attacks. And if he can't attack your health, he'll attack your mind. If he can't attack your mind, he'll attack your family. He'll attack you on the job. Attack you everywhere. But we've got a right to defend ourselves. That's right. Yes, sir. I know Israel, thank God, they've been able to develop their iron dome and all of that sort of thing. But it's not 100% accurate. I was reading this morning that in the last week that the uh, Palestinians have sent over 2,900, 2,900 missiles. And their iron dome is about 90% or some say less than that effective. But the dome that you've got is 100%. Amen. He said, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you, but I'll be with you. Aren't you glad for that? You can be seated. We've got a baby dedication. That's Sermon 1. Brother Aaron and Sister Melissa will bring their little son. We'll dedicate him to the Lord. Jesus, how we love you so much. Life is such an awesome, wonderful thing. Lord, we're so grateful for our brother and sister, their union together, and then, Father, this offspring that you've given to them. Lord, we know it's a, it's a wonderful privilege yet a great, awesome responsibility to bring children into the world, especially in this darkened, darkened day. But how thankful we are for parents who are willing to face that awesome responsibility. I pray for my brother and sister that you would help them, Lord. We know that your prophet identified the mother as being the fifth gospel. What an awesome compliment to real godly mothers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and mother. 
because mother has such an imprint on the lives of their children. Pray, Father, you'd take our brother and sister and may their lives just so unfold into the gospel. Lord, their little son that you've given to their union helps them. Give them wisdom, strength to know how to lead him and guide him. If time would tarry, he'd be old enough to be able to know right from wrong and make his decision. May his heart be tender while he's young, Lord, so he'd be able to submit his life to you. Keep him from the evils, the sicknesses, diseases of the day. So we commit his little life to you today, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. He keeps looking at you, Brother Larry. I'm not sure what the issue is. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And we appreciate our children. Stand together if you would. <clears throat> Truly, it's an awesome, <clears throat> awesome time to be living. It's a difficult time, we know that. There's very, so much tra- trauma that's going on in the world and so much sadness. And very difficult in one sense, but yeah, it's a great time. It's a time of great contrast. The light of the the word has never been so bright and brilliant. Yet the attacks of the enemy are, are so devastating upon many people's lives. But we're grateful that the Lord has provided a keeping power and a keeping strength for his people. Let's read together, if you would, t- today in the book of Genesis, chapter 24, verse 51. We'll pick up on uh, Rebecca being before her mother and her brother and also before the model servant, Eliezer. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment, and gave them to Rebekah. Now, as we've been looking at this, this is, of course, the gift from the bridegroom to the bride, and then to her brother and to her mother, precious things, which is the mohar or the bride price. I mean, I'd like to be remembered today as we pray and go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, as we gathered together in this place today, we're so thankful for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to serve you again. We thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. We thank you as we come together on Sunday. And we know in the Old Testament they never met on Sunday, but they actually met and took the Sabbath, which was Saturday. But you changed that order from the Old Testament to the New. And you placed it on a new day, which was Sunday, because it was the day you chose to raise from the dead. So we've assembled here together and the prophet said it over and over again in his span of so many years of preaching on the message. And he called it honoring the resurrection by coming together in the house of God. We're so thankful that we can still do it. We're not sure how much longer our rights will be given to us. We really don't know, but we've learned not to worry about such things. 
for we know that you have our lives, our journey, our purpose is in your hands. So, Father, as long as we have that opportunity, we want the world to know and we want Satan to know whose side we are on. So we want to bring our little lick of fire together with other people of God who are born of the same Father of lights. Speak to us today, Father, from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And the saints said, God bless you. You may be seated. As the father would give to his daughter part of his inheritance, which she would not be able to have since she's going to get married. With the case of Rebecca, she's going to leave her homeland. We have no recorded history or scripture that she ever got to go back. So it wasn't like she could fly back and forth from uh, one place to another. But once she made this journey, she never returned back again. So the father was the custom was that the father still today in in middle of the Middle Eastern customs that they would give them a shiluhim or a dowry. We know that that dowry is going to contain things that will help her, a provision for her. If by chance she would wind up a widow or if she would find no favor in the sight of her husband, she would be in a foreign land and have no means to make a living. So the dowry was given to her. So we can see from the father's heart that the dowry was things that would be provided for his daughter because he loved her. And he wanted to give her things that would make her think of home, about home, and it would testify of home. So she would not get to go back to this land that she's leaving, but every day that she would look at whatever it was that the father gave her, it could have been cattle, it could have been donkeys, it could have been she-asses, it could have been silver, gold, could have been raiment, could have been different things. But whatever it was, it would remind her of her father's love. It would also remind her of the land that she came from. And if she got in trouble, she would be able to have this inheritance and it would help redeem her out of the trouble that she was in in her journey. Now we look at our Father God and know that we have been betrothed to his sonship, which is the human body of God that we call the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And we know that God is a spirit according to St. John 4, so God is not a man, but God is a spirit. And God wanted to become a man. That is only possible through the sonship. Not another being, not another God, but the same God in the act of condescension. So when he came to the earth, he could not come and reflect his full majesty and glory. But it's absolutely necessary that he empty out that through the act of kenosis in order to bring the price of redemption. So under the sonship of God, we will receive many, many blessings. Under the fatherhood of God, we will receive many blessings. But God cannot live in each one of us today, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So God subdivided himself in that office called the Holy Spirit, same God all along. And he divides himself and gives you a part, you a part, you, me, all those people around the world. And then he remains in that state of father. 
Now, this is where it confuses, of course, Trinitarians because there's things that can be said about the fatherhood of God, which cannot be said about the sonship of God, which cannot be said about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the same thing about your soul, your spirit, and your body. There's things that you can say about your body, you can't say about your spirit. There's things you can say about your spirit, you can't say about your body, but yet all three of them make you. Is that right? Makes one person. Now, I love the way that James writes this because he embraces something about the fatherhood that is awesome. I mean, no other writer in the New Testament says it quite like James did. In James chapter one, verse 17, he said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Now the word perfect is not the word that you and I might think in the English language, but it is the Greek word teleos. And it is the word which means that which will make you complete, that which will help you grow up and mature. So every gift that we get in life are certainly not good gifts. Now, sometimes we may make a friend in life and we say, oh my, what a great gift that friend was. Yet somewhere down in time, that friend may be the worst enemy that you will ever have. That friend may turn on you. That friend may try to pull you away from the good things of God. More than likely, that friend was not of God. Now, I know I look at it strange and weird, but I would rather have one friend that was given by God than hundreds of friends that'll turn into being my enemies. Now, I know some of you parents are concerned about your children having friends, and that's a very important thing. But don't make it important, the value of how many friends they have, but the quality of friends that they have. Now, we know then that every good gift and every perfect gift, so everything that we will look at in life, and if you will evaluate the gifts that you have and you will identify them by this, it'll tell you whether they're from God or whether it's from the devil. Because a lot of times the devil will disguise things that he wants to give us under the auspices of good. But in reality, it is only a gift with a good costume on it. And it will turn out to be one of the biggest stumbling blocks in our lives. But James wants us to know that every good gift and every perfect gift, notice where they come, is from above and cometh down, cometh down from the Father of lights. Now notice in every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. So that lets me know immediately that leaves my iPhone out. Praise the Lord. That leads a lot of things that we depend on in this life totally out of the good gift list. That's right. But yet many of those things that we love so much are things that are gifts and they make life a lot easier for us. But most of them come off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they have the potential of being both. But you see, a good gift which comes from above never has any potential at all to ever work evil in your life. 
It will never work evil against you. It will always be good. But yet Satan will disguise many of his things and say they are good, but in reality we find out they turn to be against us. But James says every good gift and every perfect gift, notice where they come, they come us down from the Father of lights. Isn't this a peculiar statement? He's the only one in the New Testament that says it this way. So he identifies the great eternal as being the Father, which is light. He identifies him as being the Father of little lights. So Father himself is light or Father is spirit, and James identifies him as being the Father of light. So the sun, the moon, the stars, all of that comes from the begettle of the power of God by the spoken word. But we know also that he is the Father of lights dispensationally through the gospel, and that is that his children are born of light, and as Paul goes on to say, that you who were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Not in the light, but ye are light. Jesus says, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid. So we don't just come to light, but actually what happens to us is the same thing that happened to the earth when we look in Genesis 1 and God said, let there be light and there was light. And the word there is not a creative act when God said, let there be. That is not a creative word, but it is actually a word that God used to expulse the darkness away from the earth. So God was not creating the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, but he's simply driving back the darkness which was overshadowed shadowing the earth. And the sun that was already there began to shine and penetrate. So it's the same thing with a son or daughter of God when we are born again. The spoken word drives away the darkness from around our seed and allows the seed to begin to propagate its nature, which is light. Notice he said that it cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness. Now what a peculiar likeness that he would liken to that he likens God to the motivation or the orbiting of the sun and the earth. Now remember during this time frame, they certainly did not have the understanding that we do today. But yet James writes it exactly perfect with the knowledge of 2021 when it comes to understanding that the earth is not flat and that it was not at one time, the great scientists of many, many years ago, of course, believed that, that it was the sun that was not, you know, the king of lights and their persuasion was very odd and peculiar but we know that James tapped in to the true knowledge of God and he likens God being similar to the sun but knowing that the sun would move and have an orbit but he says God does not move in that sense so there's no variableness or no moving around there's no changing that the cosmic pattern and the cosmic light will be upon what the scientists call the elliptical plane on the elliptical plane, the reason you and I have life and the earth has water and foliage and so on is because of the way the Lord God placed us in the universe. And he placed us in our position in the elliptical plane where we 10 degrees farther out, it would be so much colder that we couldn't have life. If we were 10 degrees closer to the sun, it would be so hot, life would not be able to live. So God placed the earth exactly right on the elliptical plane 
and placed it to where that from the earth you're able to see all these myriads of stars. Now when you go outside from the earth and you look back, guess what? You no longer see Leo the lion. You no longer see the virgin. You no longer see Pleiades. You no longer see all of these things that you can see because whoever placed it out there placed it over his sketch so it would be seen and more beautiful from the earth and not the quite the same anywhere else. So when they go to Mars, I mean, no, now, of course, the United States has went to Mars. China this week has also landed a space rover on Mars. But when you get out there and you begin to look at the same elliptical plane, you don't see it exactly the same way. So you've got to be in the right place when you look out to make sense of it. Well, it's the same way with the word. God placed us in a predestinated elliptical plane. And from where we're standing in the light of the day and the message of the hour, and we look out and we see them promises to us. We see a ram, we see a goat, we see this, we see that. Other people look at it and all they see is a conglomeration of a mess. They don't even understand what we're saying. We talk different, we act different, we behave different. But from where we're looking at it, the story is from the beginning right down to the end. It makes perfect sense. It's not a mess, it's not chaotic. Praise the Lord. So you see the father of lights reflected it when he wrote it up in the stars. Now remember, you know that as well as I do and having been in different parts of the world, having stood at the equator and looked up being there on the border of Kenya and Zimbabwe near the Zambezi River and looking up and seeing the stars and how the sun will rise, how it will set, having stood in New Zealand and Australia and that part of the earth, having stood in other parts of the earth and looking up at the stars at night and paralleling them and they do look different. So you can imagine putting you then on another planet and looking at them, it would make no sense. You try to get your bearing because they would be able to take time and also tell how the stars are prophesying and you look at it and say, where are we? I don't understand what's going on. That's why folks are so spiritually blind in the day that we are living in. But to those who are in the elliptical plane the way God put us and you're looking up to the eyes of the word, oh, I see this, I see that, I see that. And it's not our imagination, it's the same picture that Adam saw in the Garden of Eden. You imagine when Adam walked out and the first night he was there and he looked up and there was Ares and there was the ram and there was Scorpio and there was Pleiades and there was the seven sisters and there was the belt of Orion and the very same stars that you and I look at today are the same ones that Abraham looked at when the Lord God said, look up into the starry skies. Abraham, uh, count the stars if you can. This is your seed right here. Hallelujah. Abraham saw the exact same stars. Abraham saw the exact same story and picture of redemption that we're seeing today. Why? Because we are the seed of Abraham. Now, James likens this that, that God does not have a variableness of turning. I mean, no, even with our great planet, as beautiful as it is, yet it tilts on its axis 22 and a half degrees. And because of that, before the tilt, even scientists tells us that there was no climate change on the earth. And there were no seasons on the earth because the earth stood up right there, like this. That's why you go into the deserts up and around Utah and Nevada and Arizona, and you'll dig down and you find all of these fossils 
apostles, which are sea creatures. Even in, on the eastern coast of, of Canada, whenever they dig down over 22,000 feet and find millions, millions of these little tiny sea creatures that were buried in an ancient seabed. And go right there to Arizona and they find fish and they find all kinds of things. And the Mojave Desert, also on the desert of Africa, at one time the largest desert on the earth, what was it? It was a gigantic lake. So at one time they found crocodiles, uh, bones and all this and that and the other. And many of these arid dry places, why? Because the earth stood upright and the temperature was the same all the way around. And everything was eating vegetation. And the great dinosaurs coming to the paradise of God. And there was Adam in the Garden of Eden and the my T-Rex and all these other things coming through the garden. And the big birds would fly down and land on his shoulder. And there Adam, they just cooed to him and hit answer back to him. Why? Because God had everything under his own control. Is that right? But what happened? Whenever he gave that control over to his son and his son forfeited that rights, then the title deed of the earth, Satan wanted it, but he could not get it. But he become a squatter on the earth. So he does not have ownership, but he does have control. And by his powers of his demons, he wants to influence it all. Then what happened? The great Andalusian destruction came and the polar caps, the temperature changed by the, the great atomic explosions that happened by the flood and it caused the earth to tilt over. Oh my, thank God for his grace knowing that the earth would tilt. Was it not for the mercy of God and God having put our moon out yonder which helps us. Now you imagine you've got a little top and you take that little top like your kids would play with and you take that top and spin it on the top like this and it will go around and around and around as long as the perpendicular axis is able to keep it straight. But if that top ever starts tilting this way. Watch what will happen to that top. That top will stop spinning out of control and it'll finally turn over and over. You realize the grace of God is what keeps this earth from going out there and spinning totally out of control because it's like a top, not spinning like this, perfectly perpendicular, but it's tilted this way. But what keeps it from spinning out of control and going out into the black hole of a universe? The moon. God placed the moon out there and God God made the molecular structure of the moon with a great gravitational pull. Even though, my, she averages 239,000 miles away from the earth, yet the power of that, and she will turn her back and the ocean tides will come in. And then the moon will turn her face back around and when she does, the tides go back out. What is it that causes the earth from spinning around? Oh my, in an absolute chaos in the universe, it is the moon. And the moon represents the church. For those who think they don't need a church, for those who feel like they don't need to go to church, you're heading for a universal chaotic stress in your life, my friend. You see, it is being with one another. It is being under a God-called ministry. It is having fellowship with the saints of God. And the magnetic pull that each one of us have on the other is what keeps us, even though we're still tilted as it was, and our actions in our journey of life but each one of us we look out for each other and we pray for each other and we have I wish somebody would preach with me this morning we have burdens for one another it's one of the biggest traps that Satan ever laid for any son or daughter of God and that is to pull them off by themselves 
don't need nobody. I don't need this. You're heading down the path of destruction, my sister. You're heading down the path of destruction, young man or young woman. We need one another. Oh, the moon isn't near as beautiful as the earth. It isn't near as powerful as the sun. But I thank God for the moon because the moon is what keeps me from turning upside down and spinning in the universe in utter chaos. Oh, I'll tell you, I know we've got problems in Happy Valley. I don't know any church that don't have problems, but I'm so grateful that we have a church in the end time that stands for the word of God. Not just a church of a bunch of words, but a church that almighty God comes down among us and performs the miraculous and the supernatural. And it helps us if we get out of line that we have God called ministry that will send out the gravitational pull that begin to pull upon our lives and get us back in harmony with what we need to be. Hallelujah! Why? Because with him there is no variableness. Hallelujah! Oh glory! Neither a shadow of turning as James says. Now let us, let us change just a bit here. One of the great gifts that father wants to give to his beloved daughter, the one which he has bought and loved before the world ever began. I know it's hard for our minds to comprehend, but before there was ever one speck of stardust, God wrote the Lamb's book of life. And God actually spoke your name and placed it on that book by spoken word before he ever made one star. Amen. The lamb was slain in the mind of God before the foundation of the world and you were redeemed before the foundation of the world was ever laid. Is that right? Now, the world may look a chaos to the people of the world and they don't understand, but to us, we know it's all part of the program of God. One of the great things that God gives to his people is a purpose for our life. Now, we know that the time that we're living in, people are really confused about their purpose of life, who they are in life, what are they in life, what are they supposed to do in life. And we all must have a purpose in our life with no goal, no ambition. We become a people who are tossed about with this and that and the other. You notice people that never really know who their pastor is and they go from one church to another to another and they find fault with this one. Well, I'm leaving this church and uh, they're all messed up and this and that and the other. I'm going to another church. And a lot of the truth of it is they're the ones messed up. Then when they get there, they find that church has got problems and they go to another and they go to another. Why? They're taking the problem with them in their suitcase. Now, let me, let me share this with you in Jeremiah 29, 11. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the entire book of Jeremiah. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now, just so you understand what a contrast that this is being said at the time frame, let's read verse 10 for just a little bit of a background. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform 
my good word. Ain't that wonderful? My good word towards you and causing you to return to this place. Now, they've not yet left, but God has told them by the mouth of Jeremiah, you're going down into Babylon and you're going to be there for 70 years. And this is my will. I'm going to purge the land. I'm going to give the land a Shabbat and you're not going to be here in this land. But I promise you, I will bring you back. But you can imagine now the believers of that day as they were hearing these words of God, that God's saying, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Now notice verse 11 again, for I know. Now I want you to notice how that God separates his knowledge from the knowledge of the false prophets. Because you see, false prophets are prophesying also during the time of Jeremiah. And they're telling the people, oh no, 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 don't worry about that. You know, two years and you'll be back. And others are saying, no, it's not the will of God. Well, it was their sins that brought them to this state. And God says, but I know. I know. Well, let me just tell you this morning, most of the time, you and I do not know what God's will is for our life. We don't know the thoughts that God thinks about us. And sometimes we may say, God don't love me, or God hates me, or God don't like me, or how come God this or that or the other? But God wants us to know that he knows the thoughts. The devil don't know the thoughts that God thinks about me and you. Neither does the church world. Neither does many of the demons out there that's warring against us every day. But we need to keep this in mind. God knows what he thinks about us. Now notice this. He said, I know. What's this in Isaiah 55, 8? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, listen to this, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You imagine the Jews now as they hear Jeremiah say these wonderful words of prophecy and they're thinking, you gotta be kidding me. You mean God loves us? God cares for us? And God is letting us be sold into the Babylonians? God is gonna let Nebuchadnezzar come and he's gonna destroy our city, destroy our temple, and it will lay dormant for all of these years. How can that be the will of God? Well, you see, friends, this is where trust comes into the providence of God. We must trust him, even when we don't understand what he's doing or what he's allowing to be done in our lives. We must trust him and come right back to this verse. God, you know the thoughts that you think to Toward me. How could they conceive in their mind that God is going to bring them back? They must trust him. Now notice this. God said, for I know the thoughts. I love this word. Device, plan, purpose, invention. I know the device, the plans, the purpose. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you saith the Lord. My, that just so warms my heart. So the purpose and the resolutions of the heart are from God and God alone. So God's thoughts are the prelude to God's actions. If I can somehow help you this morning to be able to see what God is thinking about you, it will help you to see what God is fixing to do for you. 
because God's thoughts. Now, we know that the thoughts that God has toward America, and we know the thoughts that God has toward the world. What are those thoughts? They are a prelude to his actions that will take place. Is that right? I don't care nothing about being lined up with them thoughts. But if the same principle works, then if I can be able to find what God is thinking about me, what God is thinking about you, then I can look at that and know that his thoughts are simply a prelude because God cannot think it and then go back and say, whoops, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have thought that. I thought good about Donnie, but Donnie messed up. Man, I didn't know Donnie was gonna do that. How can he be God and not know it? So if I can find what his thoughts are and his thoughts are unchanging since he has never had a new thought. Isn't that awesome? He has never had a new thought about anything. So if he ever thought, we know in the beginning when God made the the woman and, and her name was Eve and whenever God brought her into existence and the prophet said that she was God's perfect thought of a woman. Well, if she was God's perfect thought of a woman, that thought can never be retracted. It can never be taken by. So where is that thought this morning? Where is that thought? If that was God's perfect thought of a woman, then guess what? There's gonna be more women that are gonna line up with that perfect thought of God. Adam was God's thought of a man. Well, guess what? There's gonna be sons of God that are gonna line up and harmonize with God's thought of a man because he cannot make a mistake. If our God can make one little blunder, I'll stop serving him today and never, never pick up my Bible and preach again. I'll never pray. I'll never ask God to move for me again. If my God can make just a stumble, I can't have confidence in him. Don't worry, I ain't gonna stop serving him. He can't blunder. He can't make a mistake. God don't even stutter. God don't even have a second thought. He is absolutely perfect. He can never do wrong, think wrong, say wrong, make a mistake. His words are absolutely perfect and sublime. So God's thinking is not the thinking of a philosopher or the thinking of a politician. Thank God for that. I'm convinced politicians are the most professional liars on the face of the earth. You see, but God's thoughts are not the thoughts of a politician or the thoughts of a philosopher. They are the thoughts of the king. Not a king, the king. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace. We all know this word and we love it. Shalom. Completeness, soundness, quiet, tranquility, contentment. Now these people are fixing to go to Babylon. They're fixing to have their temple taken from them, many of their rights stripped from them, and God is preaching to them shalom. God is telling them, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, and they are of peace. I 
not think good things about you. And they're thinking, what? This don't make any sense. God says he's thinking peaceful thoughts about us. And yet Nebuchadnezzar is coming to take away our city. Take away our temple. Take away all of the things that we have done. How can this be God? Because we get so locked into time. We get so locked into our present thing. God's not just looking at that. God isn't just looking at the 70 years. He's looking at the resurrection of Israel coming back. Oh my, that's what God's looking at. You're looking at your hardship and you're looking at your sickness and your trials. Like, oh God, will this ever pass? Tap into the thoughts of God. God's already advanced beyond your sickness when you're well. When God's saying, by my stripes, ye are already healed. Notice this, the thoughts of peace, not of evil to give you an expected end. Look at this word give. It means our English word is Nathan. Nathan is the Hebrew. Bestow, grant, permit, ascribe, consecrate, dedicate, be permitted or be issued to be put upon. I know what I'm gonna do for you. I know my thoughts. They are not evil, and yet they're thinking, how can you say this is not evil when you are allowing Nebuchadnezzar to come against us? How many of you have been attacked by the devil? And Satan will try to take that very attack and convince you God don't love you. Why? Because you've not broke into the thoughts of God enough. You're breaking into your own thinking. And Satan is anointing you to think God don't love you and God don't care for you. Move beyond your present situation into the very thoughts of God. God, what do you think about me? How do you feel about me, Lord? If you hate me because of something I'm doing, tell me. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. I'll make it right. But if we could ever break into that mind of God and we'd hear him come back, child, I loved you before the world began. You see, unlike us, we love people of my best buddies and best chums and whatever more until we cross one another. And then when we cross one another and kind of have sharp words with one another, you know how it is. Many of the friends that you have, you just love them so much. But if you ever cross them one time, that's the end of it. That's it. They'll never speak to you again. They'll never get around you again. Well, I got, y'all got quiet on me then. But God doesn't love you anymore. When you are 100% right, he doesn't love you anymore. And when you're 100% wrong, he loves you on both sides of the scale. But we look at it as human love, and we judge God's love by our love. Oh, I love Brother Jim. Oh, man, I love Brother Jim. Then me and Brother Jim have a fallen out. Well, I'll tell you one thing, I used to think Brother Jim's a great guy. Oh, sorry outfit. And then we measure God the same way. Well, God loves me. I pray, I read my Bible, I do this, I do all this. And then one day you mess up and you say, oh no, I've lost his love. That can never happen. Because I know the thought. He sees you in your weakness. He sees you in your frailty. He sees you in your shortcomings. And he still thinks the same. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Which actually the English rendering of this is not very 
accurate. It's really a hopeful future. Now they're looking at themselves and say, we're done. We're finished. The Babylonians will never let us come back. But God said, I'm thinking thoughts of a hopeful future. And they're thinking, what? Hopeful future? Well, the doctor's given me no hope. There's no hope in our economy. This can happen and that can happen. But God's looking at a different set of rules. God don't play by the Democrat playbook. God don't play by the Republican playbook. He don't play by Congress rules or Senate rules. God's got his own rules. And if God ever loved you before the world began, there ain't nothing that'll ever break that love. Oh my, he may have to wear you out and get your hide straightened out, but he will do it because he cannot love someone from eternity and then them come in time and ever do something that'll say, oh, I shouldn't have loved that guy. Never, not my father. Oh my, the future, the future. You think you're going to be annihilated and destroyed, but God says, no, you're not. You're gonna have a hopeful future. You will have this, this expected end. In other words, you will never cease to be a people. What's this in Romans 8, 28? For we know that two out of 10 or three out of All things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called. Now we know that when Paul's writing this, he's not talking about the believer's sins. He's not talking about the believer getting out of the will of God. But all things is the consummation of those directives in the will of God. If your sins is pleasing to God and in the will of God, he'd be unjust to punish you when you do wrong. So all things in the providence of God are working to the good of those who are called according to his purpose, his purpose. And the word purpose is prothesis, which is showbread. Huh. Showbread. So all things work to the good to them that love the Lord who are the called according to his showbread. A setting forth of a thing. Placing it in view. The showbread, 12 loaves of wheat bread corresponding to the numbers of the tribes of Israel which loaves were offered to God every Sabbath and separated into two rows, lay for seven days upon a table placed in the sanctuary or the front portion of the tabernacle and afterwards of the temple, the rite of setting forth the loaves. So everything works together for the good to them who are the called according to the showbread. Showbread. How in the world could we be likened to showbread? How could the purpose of God be likened to showbread? Watch this in Exodus chapter 25, verse 30. And thou shalt set before, notice this now, thou shalt set upon the table shewbread before me always. 
And the word before is poneum, face, presence, to the front of in the present. Now the shoe bread was actually called the bread of his face or the bread of his presence. Now listen to me, bread is a product of the gift of God and the work of man. Now think of it, a gift of God and the work of man. So bread doesn't grow on trees, right? Y'all growing your rainbow bread at your house? Cornbread, muffins? But yet God gives us the grain. Oh, hallelujah. God gives us the grain of whatever type of flour that you choose to use or wheat or whatever it is, and then you could lay that there in a bowl, you could grow it, my, it turned out so beautiful, the wheat is so nice and the oat flour and this and that and the other, it will never turn into bread on its own. Well, what, man, woman, you wouldn't want to eat no bread I'd make, I can guarantee you that. So our sisters, and those of you brothers who can fix bread, and I can cook pretty good, but it is the gift of God merged together with the works of man. So shoe bread is a coming together of divinity and humanity in the same loaf. Now notice they would take 12 loaves and they were made exactly of the same stuff and they would bake them, they would bring them in hot and they would do this once a week. Now at the end of that administration of that loaf, then the priest would actually eat these loaves of bread. So the priest took the bread, the shoe bread and ate that and it became a part of their body. So they feasted on the bread of his face. So then bread is a gift of God with the work of men, you understand? Now it was also placed on a particular table called the table of shoe bread. Your brother's ready to show this to him? The table of shoe bread. Now this table was given by the direction of God to be so many cubits high, so many cubits long, so many cubits wide, we won't go into that. But the crown, notice that there was a crown on the edge of this table. A crown, look at it. Here's a crown, now this gold detail on the top, God called a crown. So there's a crown on the edge of this table and it's pointing upward. And then there's a handbreadth in between that crown, and then there's another one on the bottom. Look at this right-hand corner here. You'll be able to see it again. So there's a crown pointing up, and a crown pointing down, and a handbreadth between the two. So now this table is made of shittim wood, and it is overlaid in gold. So here we have again deity and humanity merging together. So the table itself is emerging together of the shatim wood, which is of the earth, which is man. And then we've got the gold, which speaks of deity. So what is this, what is this table? It's a king. It's a king. This was called the king table. No other piece of furniture was quite made like this, so it is crowned. Now remember we're talking about Father giving us a purpose for our life. 
Now, if God was so, oh my, so particular in the way, well, why don't you just take a cardboard box and why don't you just take an old pallet or something and just scrape up a couple of boards and why in the world you need to be that fancy God? That ain't humble. That ain't shut your mouth. This is what God wanted. This is what God's going to get. Praise the Lord. Now look how different it was from the humble tabernacle in the wilderness and then they go from that to this. You can argue with God and tell them they're too fancy. A dispensation had changed. It's time for them to move from one building to another. Well, come on, and whenever the move come, they didn't bring the same furniture, but they brought new stuff at the direction of God. So here the king table is set and it's set right near, of course, the menorah and all the other articles in the second court. So it is the king table, as it was called, placed. Now notice this upper crown pointing to his divinity, the lower crown pointing to his humanity, and they were bridged together on the same table of a hand bridge. What brought God's salvation? The hand of the Lord. So here is God merging together the very prophecy of Messiah in the furniture in the tabernacle. Now remember, this was moved, this one was never in the tabernacle of witness itself, but this one is going to be placed inside the temple. It was also changed names from the tabernacle to the temple. So this one was going to signify the deity of God. Now watch this in St. John 6, thank you brothers. St. John 6, 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So here now we have another loaf. It's rainbow bread. The local baker here in Johnson City can't make it. The bread of God, the bread of his face is now a man. So the crown pointing upward and the crown pointing downward and the handbreadth between the two has now become God's creation on the earth. So what is bread? Bread is a gift from God and man's work. So here God even allowed not just a man, but a woman, a woman to carry around this seed word of God. She was not carrying a loaf, but a seed. But the loaf is a process of seed, amen, made into flour, which is ground down, come through the labor. This is why the Lord Jesus must be ground down with tribulation and difficulty. He must be transformed from seed life into flower life. Through all of this of humanity, he's now made to be changed into the bread of God. Watch this in verse 34. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am. This is one of the seven I am's of the book of John. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So the king table is now a man. And he don't have 12 loaves on it, but there's one. And what is bread? A gift of God with the work of man. What's in verse 48? I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. So what am I telling you about purpose? Here is the shoe bread. The very purpose of the prophetic symbol of the shoe bread become a human being in the New Testament. So the purpose of God rolling together with the shoe bread is no longer something great out yonder just in symbols and all of that, but it becomes the purpose of God becomes written in a young man's life, in a young woman's life. And they know, oh, we talk about the seed so much about the message. Oh, I want to be the seed. I want to be the seed. I do too, but I don't want to stop being seed. I want to become bread on his table. I mean, lots of good bread, naturally speaking. You like bread, cornbread, rolls, whatever it is, bread. You know how we are in America, we eat a lot of bread, we like bread. Oh my, we don't want to just lay seed, Harry, over on God's head. Well, here I am, Lord, I'm complete, I'm whole, I never went through nothing. Oh my, but let me be laid on the table of Adonai as a loaf. That the purpose of God was somehow molded in my life through the gift of God and the works of man. Friends, do you honestly think these sermons I preach just fall together? Do you think these sermons that Brother West preaches, Brother Darrell and these other brothers here, the sermons you hear Brother Tim preach, you think they just somehow just fold together? We open up our iPad and pop, there they are. What you're feeding on is a gift of God that inspires a gift of God and then that gift of God begins to work with the human being and the human being will study and pray and pray and study and study and pray and then walk out of there. And there you're sitting with anticipation and you're wondering what's he gonna say today? Which way's he gonna go? And then I'll take the knife and open my iPad and slice the first slice and read the opening scripture. And for those of you that have prayed and you're ready for church and the aroma is released from the loaf and you say, oh, we're gonna have church today. Oh. <laughs> Notice verse 51, I the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus is the bread of God's face. In other words, you could never see the face of God until God imprinted his face on a loaf of bread. <laughs> Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. He said, have I been with you so long time, Philip, and you haven't known me? That's me on the bread that you're eating. That's my imprint. Now, what is bread then? The purpose of God. So who was the only ones that was allowed to eat this bread? Of course, it was the priests. Notice this in the unveiling of God. The Shekinah glory manifests him. It brings forth the word promise right out to you. That's the reason that Moses had to veil, excuse me, Moses veil his face because in him was the word and he veiled Jesus as a humble little man to keep them from seeing Jehovah. 
and he veils himself today in earthen vessels with the Shekinah. The outside looks like a bunch of holy rollers, old badger skins, but the inside has the Shekinah glory. It ripens the shoe bread that we feast on and drive across the country for hundreds of miles, see? It's the believer's food. It's only for a believer. Remember the shoe bread was only for the believer. See, shoe bread seed. Notice what does it do? That Shekinah glory over the shoe bread kept it from spoiling. Now can you imagine taking buying a fresh loaf of bread, you take it out and leave it in the open for a week. You leave it in the open for a week. Then you bring more, 12 more fresh loaves in and you take that one that's been laying out in this table for a week and you're gonna eat it. Hope you got a lot of polydent. But can you imagine, Harry, as they would take it back, no microwaves, no way to, you know, be able to make it fresh, but as they took it back and they bit down in it, the aroma was there, the taste was there, the freshness, hand me some of that butter right now. Hand me some of that honey, hand me some of that jam. Oh my, this is so fresh. How could it be kept so fresh? It was on the table of the king. Oh, glory to God. The crown pointing up, the crown pointing down. Uh, the table of the king is what kept it fresh. What keeps your experience fresh with God? When we're living in a time and people say, I, don't, I ain't gonna serve the Lord no more. I ain't going back to church no more. I don't need to go to church. You got yourself off the king's table, didn't you? But what keeps us in love with the Lord Jesus and fresh with our walk with God? It's where we're seated by the chair. It's not us. Bread cannot keep itself fresh. All he can do is lay there and bear the image that the molder made of it. It's the table that's your place that keeps you fresh. Oh, watch this. He says, what's this Shekinah glory today to break beyond the veil, to see who God is standing before you, see who God is standing here before us the pillar of fire. He's veiled in human flesh. But what does the Shekinah, what did it do? The shewbread seed. The word that we're to live on in this day by these promises, the Shekinah glory ripens the shewbread. Ripens shewbread? How can you ripen bread? It ripens the shewbread. But this is the ripening of the shewbread brings it to pass. He came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to come to pass. Now John says to become the sons of God and the word become is to come to pass. So they were a thought which became a word, but it was an unfulfilled word until power was released to their life. Then they could be energized to come to pass. Don't you understand what we're doing? We're coming to pass. We were prophecies. We were thoughts. We were seeds, tiny seeds of shoe bread. Tiny seed. This is why you must have your own experience with God. You can't go in on mama's experience. You cannot go in on daddy's experience. You must yourself become a loaf 
of the shearbread. Notice the loaves of shearbread. One was made for Judah. One was made for Issachar. One was made for Zebulun. One was made for Dan. One was made for each tribe. They were represented, each loaf represented a tribe of people. Oh, notice this. God help us. It makes bread, oh, makes bread to the believer that laid in the pages of the Bible year after year. The word of this, why? It's because you're placed on the spiritual elliptical plane to where you look at and you say, dear God, mama, that's me. We've rejoiced for decades saying, praise God, that's Brother Ram. Praise God, that's Paul. Praise God, that's Donnie. That's not the mystery of the mirror. The prophet didn't tell that so you'd see who I am. The prophet never told that story so you'd just see who he was. But you'd be able to see who you are. Praise be to God. Notice that makes it bread to the believer. So the seed word actually becomes transformed from just seeds in the Bible to edible bread. And the believers just say, mmm, 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 mmm. Oh, give me some more of that. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. You're doing like the children of Israel did before the land of Egypt. Before they left, they ate their self to a body change. <laughs> Can you imagine an old man back there and he'd worked and he bore them stripes on his back from being whipped by the Egyptians. He was so feeble. Poor fellow couldn't hardly move around. And he heard Moses' voice, but just hearing the voice hadn't changed him yet. He was identified as being in the message that it hadn't changed him yet. But when they got right down to one of the final acts before the exodus, now listen to me, they applied the blood over the door. That still didn't turn them back to young people. But when they got to eating the lamb before the journey, you see it was eating the lamb and taking the lamb. You imagine that old grandpa sitting there, would you hand me another piece of that lamb? Here, Dad, here you go, here you go, old buddy, old buddy. Here's you some of them herbs. Here's some of this bread. He said, I've eaten a lot of lamb in my life. I believe this is some of the best I ever ate. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Did somebody say something about having them eaten? <laughs> Did y'all say this fix and leave? Oh, Grandpa, Grandpa, be careful there. So he goes to eat and he said, Praise God. And they noticed that deep gravel in his voice. It wasn't gravel no more. Y'all got any more of that lamb? Said, Good Lord. Who, who in the world said? I'll tell you one thing. I'm thinking we could have a revival around here. Well, just three days ago, he said, I don't know if there's any hope for us or not, children. I heard my grandpa talk about it, my great-grandma and everybody talking about it. We're just so far gone. We're probably going to be destroyed. We're probably going to be annihilated. But he started eating that lamb before the journey and got a chunk of that bread and got that in his mouth and got them bitter herbs. And boy, he started eating on that. And whenever it started eating on it, it started releasing divine energy. Oh, 
praise God, if eating a lamb will change people, and the Bible says there was not one feeble one. Can you imagine people that had been beat for decades of their life? They had broken bones, they had scars, they had issues, oh glory to God. But when they got to eating a lamb before the journey, there was not one feeble one. Let me just tell you, I don't care if you're 55 or 155, when the change takes place, we are gonna be all transferred back to young people in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. There won't be one feeble one among us. Why? We're feeding on the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. Praise God. The world sitting out here like Egypt was. And the darkness come upon the land of Egypt and they couldn't see one another. That's the way the world is. They can't see if they're men or women or they don't know what they are. But we got light in Goshen. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice what's Malachi for to do. Turn the people back from that stumbling block to break down the traditions and reveal the bread with the Shekinah glory. Watch it ripen and produce just exactly what he said would do. Oh my, the shoe bread for this age. To the denomination, a stumbling block, a bunch of fanatics. <laughs> but to us, hand me another leg of lamb. What is it when a man speaks through that veil under the Shekinah glory? Now the world calls him fanatic. They can't see what's wrong, but behind there, there's no beauty of him. He might not pronounce his words right. He might not dress just right. He might not dress in clergy clothes. She might not dress the way they think she ought to. Maybe in the, behind the badger skin, behind that human skin, in there is the Shekinah glory. And in there is the power that is in the word. In there is the shepherd. Don't you understand why you must have something in you? Eating the shoe bread is not just you coming to church. It's you coming to church, having your time with God as the priest. Where did the priest eat the shoe bread? In the tabernacle. But they eat the bread in the tabernacle. And then they'd go out of the tabernacle and it gave them strength to face whatever life had in front of them. Listen to this. And the Shekinah glory, which is the light, that makes the light that ripens the grain. You Kansas people know that by your wheat crops. Without that sun, it won't light. Let me close. But the wheat has to lay in the presence of the sun. Notice how he changes stages on us now. And that's what we're here for, friend. This is the meeting now in Jeffersonville. This is the first sermon of that series, the first of the year there. Man front running from the presence of the Lord. Marriage and divorce, God's chosen place of worship, who is Melchizedek. Notice and the prophet said, that's what we're here for. What's bread? A gift from God and the people coming together. So there's something you gotta do. 
Sometimes you'll have come to church and you don't feel like it. There's times I got to preach and I don't feel like it, which is the big majority of the time. Well, praise the Lord. Y'all want me to preach this when I feel like it? Y'all, y'all want these singers to just sing and say, now Brother Louis from now on, you and Brother Harvey, if, if y'all don't feel like singing, don't sing. And all you musicians, if, if y'all just down and depressed and y'all don't feel like singing, playing, then, well, don't play. And you deacon brothers, we know you get aggravated trying to deal with the people. So if you don't feel like it, just don't do it. And Brother Jim, I know you get weary, so if you don't feel like open the library for the next six months, just don't do it. Well, some of you all are getting mad on a hornet. You come over to the library and the library is closed and there's no song leader, there's no guitar player, there's no drummer, there's no organ player. What's the matter with everybody? The same thing that happens to you maybe when you decide not to come. But the wheat has to lay in the presence of the sun to ripen. That's what we're here for, friend. Stay in the presence of the sun till our little group, not you pulling away from the body and staying home and say, I don't need nobody. To our little group of people here till it becomes so ripe to Christ. It becomes bread. Praise God. Bread on his table. That's what I want it to do. Anybody here have the same desires the prophet did? Let's stand together. So we're seed, we're seed. We preached about it for years and we'll continue to preach about it. But let's not stop at the seed stage. Bread is a gift from God with the works of man. There'll be hard times. So you take that seed and it ripens and you grind it down to make it flower through the whole process of it all. And then you transform it. Carol and I, several years ago, we went out to Arizona to have some meetings out there and we went to a place there. Many of you know it. It's called Sedona, Arizona. Real beautiful place. And there was a place there where we stayed. And whenever we told them kind of what time we'd be in there. So they told us we could check in at a certain time. So whenever we walked in the door of this place and you open the door, they had a big fresh thing of bread. That was made in a bread machine. So as soon as you open that door, oh. as y'all can tell, I like bread. Oh my goodness. So you think, where, where, where is it? Where is it? And they have the bread machine sitting right over on the table. They have butter. They have strawberry jam. They have honey. They had all this stuff. Forget hamburgers. Forget steak and baked potato. Every day, we was there for three days, I think it was. Every day we'd go out and look at the beautiful rocks there and, you know, do whatever you was doing. Every day when you'd go out and come back in, they'd have that fresh bread. I got to where I wanted to come back early. <laughs> you see, there are those who used to sit among us and used to love eating this bread. But now they say, ah, I'm not so sure anymore. 
And they wonder what's wrong with us while we're still hanging on. It's the bread. It's the bread. I'm hooked on the bread. See, I know what it's like to eat out of a spiritual garbage can. Many of you knew what it was like. Some of you have been raised in the message, so you really don't know because you've been in a message church and been in a good message church all your life. You ought to thank God for it. But I know what it's like to kind of go through the spiritual garbage can and try to look for something to eat. Why in the world would I want to leave this, this great supply of bread? Well, sometimes it comes in the form of correction. Sometimes it comes to lift you up. Whatever form it is, it still smells good. And it still tastes awesome. Why would I ever want to leave that and go back to the garbage can of trying to, oh, there's a piece of bread, there's a piece of bread. Look, friend, I've been into Kenya, I've been into Tanzania, Uganda, many of those places of the world, and passed by the city dumps. The last time that I was there in Uganda, on my way to church, we passed by a gigantic tree which had fallen, leaned over dead in the field. I saw all these people around that tree, and I said, brother, what are they doing? He said, they're digging through this bark of this tree, eating termites for protein. Sickening, right? You see, we've never been there. I've been to some of the places there and see their city dumps that stink so horribly and some of them people living there. And every time a garbage truck comes in to unload their refuse, you have people standing there and they'll go through the garbage. They'll go through looking for an edible piece of bread or an edible piece of meat and they live there and they fight and they'll get paper bags and they'll give plastics and this is the way they make their living, living on the dump. Then how could anybody in their right mind eat a seven course meal prepared under the administration of Malachi for with this fresh bread, all the butter you want and it don't make you fat and slobby like the other does. All the jam and all the honey and just eat all you want. Praise God. And you would leave that and go back to a denominational dump the way some of these previous so-called message believers have done. Some of them have actually went so far back, they went back and got baptized in titles. Is that under women preachers? And, and all these things, you think, I just don't get it. They're not eating what I've been eating. I've not been around as long as some of you all have. I agree with that. But I've been around long enough to know where the good food is. Now, I'll give a restaurant a try. And if it's bad, I might try it a second time. I might even venture the third. But after the third, if they don't improve, I write them off. Come on. Hey, hang with feed me no soup of the hair in it. You're going to give me something of vegetables, green beans poured out of a can, this poured out of a can? I can do that at home. At least I can do that. If I'm going to pay money for it, I want it to taste like something. Something that will help me. That's the way I feel about the Word of God and going to church. I'm not going to go to church just to go. I want to go to eat. And I don't want to just go eat. I want to feast. So I'm telling all you servants of God, don't come here and bring me no baloney sandwich. Bring a feast for the bride. Right, Brother West? Bring something, Brother Darrell, where the bride of Christ can be fed on the word of God to change our lives and eventually our bodies. So God says, 
His purpose for your life is like the shoe bread. It's placed before His face for Him to look at and Him to watch. Shoe bread has no will. It has no stubbornness, no hard-headedness. It does not say, I don't want that preach statement. I don't want... No, you're to be like the shoe bread, totally surrendered to the will of God. Help us, Lord. But God has a problem with us shoe bread loaves. We still have this deal of I think and I believe and I want this and I want that. But it'll be a greater miracle for God to take people like us, stubborn, hard-headed, hardly good for nothing, most of us, and transform us into children of God that lay there on His table. And when He starts toward us with His knife, and we know He's going to lay me wide open. But I don't squirm and run off. I just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And He runs His knife across me. You know what he does? He tears me apart, breaks me open, and hands me out to you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you in Australia. And you in France. You in New Zealand. You in Europe. This is what he wants our lives to be. Not lives that we live for ourselves but to become bread on his table. How many wants that with all your heart? Let's bow our heads if you would. Heavenly Father, forgive us, Lord, for complaining when the seed is put into the sifter, ground around and mashed. We know that this shoe bread was made of very fine, fine flour. The average person could not make flour like this. It was ground with special burrs. So their bread at home would have been much more rough, more coarse. But this bread was made of such fine, exquisite flour. A special burr was used to grind it where it would be so fine. Then mixed together with the water. And, oh, it would have been such, such a sight to see and no doubt to taste. Lord, I pray you would help each of us. Some here today may find themselves in the great meal of God. They don't understand what's going on. They thought, oh, I'm seed, I'm seed, I'm bride, I'm seed. And then some preacher picked them up as it was and just poured them down into this dark shaft. And they find themselves turning back and forth and upside down and right side up. They don't know what in the world is going. And then they hear this noise and then fear overcomes them. And they feel the trembling and the shaking coming near them. And then they realize it's the birds. It's the birds, they're going to get me. But help us to see, Father, they're not going to get us so much. They're going to change us. They're bringing us to the final stage before the rapture.
to become bread on the table. Lord, we don't want to be just old rough poem as we call it down in Kentucky. Father God, we know that your plan for our life and your purpose may take many years. You may grind us and then pull us out and grind us a little more. But you have a reason for all of us. Help all the sisters here today, Father, young, middle-aged, widows, all the brothers, to know that there is a plan of God for our life, a purpose by which you have ordained. That purpose is to become the shoe bread on the table, not the seed in a sack. We're not going to bring a sack of seed and sit on the marriage supper of the Lamb. But we're going to have bread sitting at the table. We will partake of the wine, drink of the second cup, and we will eat bread. And when we will be eating of that bread, it will be the testimony that our lives have been placed down at the table of the king. This time was not a crown down, but only the crown pointing up. Because the prophet says the first thing we will do is we will get there and eat the marriage supper of the Lamb. And sometime during that, during that great celebration, we will crown you King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord Jesus, help us each one to be willing, Father, to let you mold us and make us. Being ground up is bad enough, but we know that bread must be baked. It must be changed by fire. Then, Lord, we're put in the oven as it was in the ancient days, and they would build a hearth, semicircular, or do it over an open fire, place a piece of wood there and put the dough, and there they'd watch it as the heat would begin to transform the bread. Help us, Father, whenever we're placed on the heat of trials, the heat of test, Lord God, that we'll be able to be transformed. Little by little, the bread is changed from dough, from dough to bread. It obtains a firmness, a stability, a strength. The dough does not smell like the finished loaf. The dough does not have the texture. It does not have the resemblance of the face. It was not called the face of dough, but the bread of his face. Help us, Jesus. Maybe some find themselves today in the oven of God. They're being baked. It's getting hotter and hotter, and they feel themselves changing. Help us, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, help me, I pray, Father. I want to be a loaf of bread pulled out of the oven, placed upon the master's table. Paul said that his life was now ready to be poured out as an offering. So Paul used the word that was used for a libation offering or a drink offering. So Paul was likening his life to be a drink offering that was poured out for the Lord Jesus. His head's fixing to be taken from his shoulders but it was only an answering to what had happened for decades. His life had already been poured out as a drink offering to the Lord. So, Father, may we eat the bread, but may we also become it. Grant it, Lord God. May we become bread on your table. For there must be a last call 
as the marriage is set, there will be a last call of the halt, the crippled, the maimed, the blind. Maybe backslidden children, backslidden grandchildren. Lord God, help us to be bread on the table of the Master to bring them back into your presence. How many would say with me today, I want to become bread on the table of the Master? Not just seed. What do you do with seed? You just sit there and look at it and make an idol out of it. We don't want to make an idol out of our seed. We don't want to worship the seed. We want to render the seed for harvest. You may wonder where we are in time. I'll tell you where we are, friends. For many years now, we've been in the harvest cycle of the message. Some among us wasn't part of us. They had to go out. Others of us had to be tried. Others of us had to be put through the fire to be tested so we could come to the final stage and be transformed into bread for the master's table. Praise be to God. Oh, hallelujah. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Can we just raise our hands now in the presence of the king? Now remember, you're a loaf. A loaf with a will. A loaf that still has your humanity there. But the Lord Jesus become your type in the king's table. So he wants us to answer to that antitype as we are the queen table. That our humanity is overlaid with his deity. So when you would walk up and see the table of shoe bread, you saw not one speck of that humanity shining through, but you saw the gold of God, the glory of God. The same in the ark, made not of solid gold. Now the teaspoons, the snuffers, many of those things were solid gold, divine work only, spirit of God, fire, lamps, so on. But look at the human element in the ark. Look at the human element, the table of shoe bread. Look at the human element all intertwined in all these pieces of furniture. Shittim wood overlaid with gold. Oh, what God wants to transform your old table into. Your old chair, Brother John, or whatever you are. If God don't want to just put some furniture polish on it, but God wants to overlay it in deity and let your humanity become so captured that the Spirit of God can love through you, flow through you. Oh, can we sing that song together? Hey, flow through me. Holy Spirit, flow through me. How many wants the purpose of God for your life? Maybe some of you young people today are still trying to decide what do you want to do. You're trying to say, what, what do I want to become in life? I'm going to school for this. Or I'm going to school for that. What do I want to become? Well, just a little bit of advice. Seek God and His counsel first. Because something you may want to be may not always be what God wants you to be. Brother Branham wanted to be a trapper. I'm sure God didn't let him be that. I by no means wanted to be a preacher. I had no desire to be a preacher. I had no wish to be a preacher. But are you glad I'm a preacher? Yes, sir. Are you glad Brother Branham wasn't a trapper? Are you glad Brother Darrell didn't heed to what his desire was or Brother West or these other men of God down through the ages? Aren't you glad they forewent and was willing to forego their purpose that it might be swallowed up in the purpose of God? And surely you wouldn't ask me to do something you wouldn't do yourself. 
Oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be this or that. But maybe God wants you to be something else. Are we willing to become bread on his table? Let's sing it together as we worship him just a little bit before we go. Praise be to God. Flow through me. Oh, grant it, Jesus. Holy Spirit, flow through me. Sing it with all your heart. Oh
Michael will be going to Duke on uh, this week and they're going to be performing a surgery on him. Going to be removing about 60% of his liver um, because of this tumor that they found there. It's a very complicated surgery, the doctor says. I'm not sure if this doctor has ever operated on people before with angels in the room. What we're believing this time, there's going to be some heavenly guests there. Amen. Brother Michael wanted me to mention to you so you'd be able to pray for him Monday about 10 minutes to 9 something or Wednesday rather y'all be agreeing together with us that the Lord will just be with him and guide the surgeon's hand Lord God it was you in the garden that day that opened up the side of Adam you performed the first surgery so you know all about surgery we thank you for surgeons that are that are good and talented, and we believe that you've placed people in that vocation that they would be able to help us. But Father, this sounds like a complicated case, but it's not too complicated to you. So we pray, Father, today for our brother in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you would just be with him and watch over him. Lord, and may it be even more successful than what they think it will be. We believe we're brought on the earth by the purpose of God And Satan and all of his regimes cannot take us off the earth until that purpose is fulfilled. May the Spirit of God be with this surgeon, Lord. I don't know if he's a Christian or not a Christian, but I pray in the name of Jesus, you would be with him. Make him steady of hand, steady of mind, focused, concentrated. Lord God, I pray that you would help him. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we're taught that these things are demons. I mean, oh Lord, they can try to hide from the doctor. But may the Spirit of God be with our brother, I pray. Bring him through this, Father, to the glory of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. And the saints of God said, Amen. 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 I give myself away. I give myself away. So you can use me, I give myself away, I give myself away, so you can use me, here I am, here I stand, Give my 
your feet drink from this cup in your lay back against you feel your heart this love is so deep it's more than i can understand hallelujah i rest in your peace it's Father, we love you today. Thank you for allowing us to come to church, Lord. May we take what we've heard, may we ruminate on it as sheep do. May it change us, Father. Lord God, bring us back at the appointed time. Go with your people now. Several families, Lord, out vacation and trying to take a little rest, some different visiting, some different meetings and so on. May you just be with them, Lord, and bring them back home safely until we're all gathered up at your house till we're, we'll break the bread and drink the wine again at the table of the Lord God. Go with us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you, saints. Love you in the Lord. Go in the fear of God. The more I seek you, oh Lord, the more I find Jesus, the more I find, the more it makes me love you. I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand. What a privilege. Lay back against you. Thank you, saints.